0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. I went to a high school that had a motto and the, the motto is this. It comes from St. Jerome, the man in the 4th century who translated the Bible into Latin. He's, he said, "Let us learn those things on earth the knowledge of which continue in heaven." Let us learn those things on earth, the knowledge of which continues in heaven. Now, I'd like to invite you to open up your Bible as you ponder that. Please, back to the text that Bianca read in 1 Corinthians 15. It's on page 936 of the Pew Bible. Just leave it open as we reflect on it tonight. Because in this passage, the Apostle Paul is thinking about knowledge which continues in heaven. He's thinking about eternity. What happens after we die? And his analogy is agricultural. His analogy has to do with the seed and the plant. And I want to just reflect with you a little bit on that as we come to this fourth in the series on Jesus, the hero of our hope. And here's the big idea that I want you to capture tonight from the Apostle Paul. It's this, that this life is the soil in which eternity is planted. This life is the soil in which eternity is planted. And I'm going to take all the suspense out of it today. I'm just going to give you all three of my points right off the bat. This is, if you're taking notes, here's what you want to write down. Number one, every seed must die. Every seed must die. Number two, life is a victory garden. Life is a victory garden. And then number three, what we sow in this life bears fruit in the next. What we sow in this life bears fruit in the next. I think if you put the seed analogy together with the words of Jerome, you get this idea that this life is the soil in which eternity is planted. Let's just go with this first point. Every seed must die. Our church has a wonderful tradition. If you were here on All Saints Day, just a few weeks ago, you saw it. We read the names of our members who have died in the prior year. Do you remember that? It's a few weeks ago. We put the pictures up on the screen. Okay, I was uh, just deeply moved by that this year. And as I was thinking about it, here's what I wrote down on the cover of my bulletin, sitting there with you. I wrote down, what would happen if my face were on the screen next year? I mean, that's that's what occurred to me in that moment. Just reading through the names alphabetical, Hurley, Henry, Hinman, boom, and there I am. Now, what would I do differently in the coming year if I knew I only had 365 days left to live? And I I think the answer to that question would depend in my mind on what I thought would happen to me the day after I died, the next day. I'm talking about the afterlife, the world to come. It makes a big difference. Trying to get some insight on this, I do what teachers always do, I surf the web, and I came across an article from uh, The Onion, my authority here, and uh, here was the headline, World Death Rate Holding Steady at 100%. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. Clickbait worked, and I clicked on it, I read the article. It goes like this, the World Health Organization officials expressed disappointment Monday at the group's finding that despite the enormous efforts of doctors, rescue workers, and other medical professionals worldwide, the global death rate remains constant at 100%. Death, a metabolic affliction causing total shutdown of all life functions, has long been considered humanity 's number one health concern it 's interesting. The uh, WHO director, General Dr. Gernst Blatt, apparently said, "I was really hoping, what with all these no radiology treatments, rescue helicopters, aerobics, TV shows, come on, uh, and what have you, that we might at least make a dent in it this year." Uh, no, so no, no not so much luck now it 's just not, not just old people like me that think about life after death. I think it 's all of us. all of us need to do that. And Apostle Paul makes a point in this passage that what we think happens after we die has a really strong influence on the way that we live before we do. for example, in verse thirty two he says hey if, um, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then let us eat drink." For tomorrow we die. Kind of a depressing thought. He said, well, just if you know, why not just get trashed if your life is gonna be on the trash heap of history? Might as well trash the planet while you're at it, because this is all there is. Just get the most out of it for yourself. Verse nineteen he also says, he's speaking now to religious people, and he says, you know, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, you Christians are the most uh, to be pitied of all people. Now, uh, in churches these days, it's interesting. If you do a study, not many churches are talking much about heaven and hell because it doesn't feel relevant in a culture where we don't think about it at all. But I think there's a huge loss. The Apostle Paul knows it's impossible to really live with hope if ultimately you believe death is the final end, if death trumps everything that you do in life. In fact, uh, read the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 15 says the problem isn't just death, but the fear of death. Listen to this. Jesus came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. So you don't even have to die to be subject, to be held captive by this idea of death. Uh, So it can be a problem, but also thinking about your death can be a real opportunity. Jesus talked about uh, the, the world to come a lot. He talked about death. And your physical death can be, in a way, a, a, um, a parable of what is necessary in the spiritual life. Jesus says this, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, dies and falls to the ground, it remains but a single grain. But if it is buried, it will bear much fruit. And he was speaking about his own life in John chapter 12. But he also calls his followers to live like he does, to carry our cross To learn that life isn't about ourselves, it's about the glory of God. And to follow him, to give up our lives, to give ourselves to death, to make more room in our lives for him. And if we do so, we become fruitful. Jesus wants to give us abundant life. And it's all that we bring into the equation that crowds out that abundance. So he says, don't be afraid of death. Because you can, you can trust me with it. You can trust me. I am gracious. I love you. I have died to love you. Every seed must die. So let's move to the second point. Life is a victory garden. Some of you are too young to know the language of victory garden. I wonder if any of you are just old enough to remember that victory garden. Does anyone remember what a victory garden is? Peter in the back. Is that you, Peter? Yeah. So yeah, the victory garden. My mother had a victory garden. If you lived during World War II to conserve, uh, people, families would grow gardens right in their yard and they would eat vegetables right from their own yard. And it's considered a victory garden because it was uh, a means to victory and it was a sign of a victory that was anticipated. And I think life is a victory garden in, in some way. Notice that the Bible begins with a garden, Genesis, and it ends with a garden in Revelation. And it's about a, 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 the transformation that happens from one garden that's spoiled by death to another garden where there will be no more death. It's about victory. Jesus is our victor. We talk about Jesus as a superhero. It's as though he descends on a metropolis that's held captive in the fear of death He grabs this villain who brings death, clutches him to his chest, flies out over the ocean, and absorbs all of death in himself, killing both himself and the last enemy. Death has been swallowed up in victory, Paul writes here in in 1 Corinthians 15. So let's think about this victory garden with this agricultural image that Paul's working with. First, Jesus' resurrection, and then our resurrection. And let me say something to those of you who are not yet convinced by the historical resurrection of Jesus. And it, I just want to say, you know, it, it's a hard thing to get your head around. Some of us have been in the church a long time. We think, oh, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. If you think that's normal, you're crazy. Okay? I think our skeptical friends are the ones that really think hard about this and think well about this. I mean, science tells us things that die do not come back to, from the dead. They just don't. And maybe this is some kind of a wish fulfillment that the early disciples had. I don't know that they really were attached to Jesus and they couldn't let him go. And so they made up this idea that, well, maybe he came back to, and they invented a religion. That, and, you know, that's frankly in some ways more plausible than the idea that someone would literally die and literally come back from the dead. So if you're struggling with this concept, I, 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 I want to affirm uh, the process that you're in. But I also want to invite you to really look hard at this because there are a lot of questions that are really hard to get your head around in, in the Christian life, like how all the animals worked and Noah's ark and Jonah and the whale and the crusades and why Christians are so mean and all these things. And those are important questions, but I'm not sure you can get very far with them. But this question, did Jesus really rise from the dead is central? It matters. If he did, everything changes. And, and what I want you to know is that the people around Jesus in the first century, they didn't believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. In fact, uh, the Greek culture, m- most cultures, uh, historians tell us, had the belief that the soul is immortal. But what, what it was only the Jewish culture, unique in the ancient world, that believed that the, the human body would be raised from the dead. The physical stuff would be changed. But even those Jews in Jesus' day were so... Um, largely influenced by the greek culture around them that when jesus would talk about this i'll be dead and then 3 days later i'll come back from the dead they dismissed it they didn't believe it no one believed jesus and so when he died they kind of went back to their lives because their hope died with him but here's what changed things they saw him come back from the dead that's the game changer if you're mary magdalene you were there the bible says watching jesus be crucified Three days later, you've got your arms around a person who is saying, Mary, and it's Jesus. She would tell you tonight, I saw him die. And then I had my arms around him, and he was alive again. Uh, If you're Peter, the shame of denying Jesus three times and then watching him die just would break your heart. But Peter would say, three days later, he's calling me by name. He's saying, Peter, it's me, Jesus. And I had breakfast with the guy. I watched him die, and then I had breakfast with him. Saul, the author of this text, the great rabbi of Tarsus, he was actively persecuting the followers of Jesus. There's this pesky group of people that claim that this individual died and then he grows from the dead. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. We know it's wrong theologically. We know it's wrong scientifically, historically. And so we got to get rid of these people. He's jailing Christians. He's, he's killing some of them until one day what happens? He's on the road to Damascus and his worst nightmare. Here's the guy. Jesus himself, a face-to-face conversation with it's Whoa, 180 degree turn. This is compelling to them. And I think it should be compelling to us. So that's what I would encourage you to think about, the resurrection. That's what Paul's doing with his readers. Here are the first five verses of the text. He's saying, here's the good news, friends. Christ died for our sins, and then he raised on the third day. And he, he says, if you notice, I think it's verse six, he says there are more than 500 people that saw him. What he's saying is, I can name names if you want, because many of them are still alive. You can check this story. It's historically falsifiable. That should count for something. So, but Let me say something now to those of you who may be more convinced that Jesus did historically rise from the dead. But you still have a lot of questions. I'm convinced, but it's just not clear what the implications of my life are. This is where Paul is very helpful, I think, with this seed-plant analogy. Uh, Because we have these questions, right? uh, Okay, what happens in the afterlife? Uh, Do I have a body? Uh, Will people recognize me? Um, Am I just going to be on a cloud with a harp? I mean, to me, that's like skydiving, and I can do that in this life. I'm not sure I really want to do that for eternity. So what is the world to come really like? And Paul says, well, I can't be super clear, but I can give you this analogy just like a seed that goes into the ground it goes into the ground in weakness it goes into the ground in mortality it's desiccated a uh, little piece of we would say dna that goes into the ground and it's, you know, it's in the soil it's like a body buried but then in the fullness of time something happens. It's like a biological miracle. It's the water and the sunshine and then a stalk grows and leaves come and there's a there's a plant. It's, it's the same genetic material, but now it has this incredible vitality and beauty. We'd call it glory. It dances in the sunlight and it bears fruit. There's this similarity, but there's also this discontinuity. And Paul says, it's the same with your own body you got one body from the first Adam, you're going to get another body from the last Adam. The first Adam, God breathed the soul into his life and made him a living being. And the last Adam, John chapter 20, when Jesus risen from the dead, he breathed on his followers. He's a life, the spirit. So this is a spirit body, Paul. This is a life-giving spirit, is Jesus. So if you want to know what your body is going to be like, you look at Jesus. It's a really interesting study to think about Jesus. And people recognized him, so we got that. And it was a physical body, so we got that. And he ate food, just like you and I eat food. And yet, there was some differences. Uh, he seemed to exist in another dimension because he could walk through walls of an enclosed building. He kind of teleports here and there. In the same ways, the difference between a seed and a plant, the difference between the body that you will sow in the ground when you die and the body that Jesus will raise up, into everlasting life. But his victory, I think Paul is saying, is really not just for our bodies. That was the hardest part for the Corinthians, because they're Greek, and they could believe in a spiritual resurrection, but not a physical resurrection. Paul, Paul's trying to convince them that their body would raise, because from the, an argument from the lesser to the greater, if they could believe that their bodies could be raised, they could believe that Jesus would raise and transform all things, all things. And the phrase that's used at the beginning in Genesis is heaven and earth. It means everything. God created everything. It's the same phrase that's used at the end in Revelation, heaven and earth, which means God will renew everything. So our future doesn't look like clouds disembodied and harps. It looks like this world, only better. This world, amped up, more beautiful than anyone can ever imagine. Jesus is the victor over death. Verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Life is a victory garden. So let's move to the final point. What we sow in this life bears fruit in the next. Look at your Bible again, would you please? If you still have it open, uh, look at verse 58. This is the last verse there. I think it's on page 937. I want to invite you to read this with me. Because this is the so what of the whole chapter. This is where it all leads. Paul's not so interested in people have um, the right view doctrinally of the future. He's interested in people who live lives of power and influence today. This is, let's read this aloud. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's the key. Your labor is not in vain. If when you sow to the ground, Jesus is the one who raises it up, then Jesus loses nothing of what we sow with him. However dishonorable, however weak, however desiccated, we sow perishable things, dishonorable things, and weak things, and they rise in Jesus, immortal, in glory, and in power. This is so important to me personally, because... I'm in this process of transformation as I follow Jesus. I realize this. I've been with him long enough to know. He's changing my life. But I get really frustrated with the pace of that change. I get frustrated. You know what? We're living between the times. We're living between the third day when he rose from the dead and the last day where he will destroy death altogether. He's defeated it, but he hasn't destroyed it. And the processes of death are still at work in my life. My life is very entangled with sin and brokenness. And I can be discouraged. But this passage is tremendously encouraging to me because it says, when I invest in the process of transformation that Jesus has me going through, I can lean into that because I know ultimately it'll be victorious because he's victorious. When the trumpet sounds, when Jesus returns on a twinkling of the eye, all of that process of salvation that's working in my life is going to come to fulfillment. You have no idea who you are. All of your incipient potential as a human being will be absolutely amped up and magnified in the world to come. I was just talking with my wife about a family member who's aging, and that person's kind of not what they used to be. You know what that's like? Like Their their humor is still there, but it's dimmer than it used to be. Their intelligence is still there when it's dimmer. That's kind of what happens to us at the end of life. Just imagine the opposite of that happening, when you're absolutely who you were created to be, that transformation. So leaning into that, your labor, Paul says, is not in vain. When you give yourself to Jesus, when you give your work to Jesus, it is not in vain. It's part of the new creation, and someday it will be fulfilled. Let me give you two examples of this. Um, I don't know how many of you know the Feeks, Joey and Rory Feek. Um, they're singer-songwriters out of Nashville, and they've got a top 40 hit. But uh, most of us wouldn't know them if it weren't for the fact that Joey, the wife, is going through cancer. Beautiful couple. They're raising a lovely Down syndrome child. Um, very talented, but... Joey is is dying, and Rory, her husband, just wrote a blog post about two weeks ago called Enough. And basically, they've decided to stop with the treatments. After two years of fighting cancer, they've decided to resign. Now, I want to suggest to you, they believe in Jesus. And it was the resurrection of Jesus, that power that allowed them to fight the cancer. But it's also the resurrection of Jesus that allows them to stop these disfiguring and invasive uh, heroic measures. And and just trust Jesus with their future. They're learning to sow eternity into the soil of life today. Here's another example. Uh, Tim Keller talks about his wife when they go to vacation. They like to go to Lake Erie from New York City. And uh, they go to a place where there, his wife vacationed as a little girl. And there was a beach there that's no longer there. Developers have effaced the, the landscape. And so every time they go, she cries. She misses this. And, and so Tim reflects on, you know, there's so many losses that, as you age, you, you start to experience more and more the things that no longer are or the things that you never had. But And there's some religions that talk about the life to come. But all they offer is consolation. There's a huge difference between a life to come in which you're offered consolation, oh, they're there, there, uh, and a life to come in which you're offered restoration, all things made new, see? And that's what Jesus offers us. So here's why this matters in the way that you live. Let's suppose you're a single woman and you wanna be faithful in your relationship with Jesus and so you say, I'm not gonna marry anybody unless I can find a suitable spiritual partner. And a lot of, a lot of men and women make that decision. But it will mean that many men and women will live single their whole lives because they'll never find a suitable spiritual partner. Now, have they lost something that's unrecoverable? Yes, in this life, but not if there is the life to come in which Jesus offers restoration. Jesus will restore to you everything you would have had if you'd had the best marriage in the world in the new life. Tim Keller writes, The resurrection of Christ even promises the restoration of what you've lost. You don't just get your body back, you get the body you always wanted but never had. This is good news for me. I'm, by the way, um, just turned 50 this year, so I'm at the age where if I bend over to tie my shoes, I say, is there anything else I need while I'm down here, you know? <laughs> you, 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 Keller says, uh, you don't just get your life back, you get the life that you always wanted but that you never had. This allows us to live differently. So maybe those of you who are married, you might find yourself in an unfulfilling marriage, but you can give that to Jesus Christ, and you can trust that even though in this life it's hard in the life to come, he will fulfill you in a way that you can't imagine. Or maybe you decide not to take the promotion because you want to care for your family. Or you decide, maybe I'm going to live below my economic means because I want to live in solidarity with the poor around the world. These are decisions we can make. They, we experience loss. You're not going to drive the fancy car, maybe. But, but in the world to come, there will be more compensation than you can possibly imagine. Jesus teaches this. This is part of the mystery of the resurrection. We can sow eternity in the soil of life today. Well, let me close and tell you this little story. Just a week before All Saints Day, I had the privilege of visiting with one of the faces that would be on that screen a week later. His name is Bob, and... Bob thought that he would be coming home from the hospital to his family, but it turned out, tragically, uh, because of a medical condition that just cropped up, he'd never make it home. And he knew that. And so I was called, and I went uh, up there, and um, <laughs> I was prepared for the tears. But I'll tell you what I was not prepared for. That was the smile. The smile on Bob's face. I kid you not, when I came through his door, he greeted me with this radiant smile, almost as though Jesus Christ himself had come into that room to take him home. And he couldn't say a lot, but we had a little conversation. It was hard to talk, but we prayed together. And I remember as, as Bob and I prayed, we thanked God, using the words from Luke chapter 2, for the sunrise from on high We thank him for the sunrise from on high who shines on those who sit in the shadow of death. And when I opened my eyes and I looked into Bob's face, it was almost like I could see in his smile the the glow of the first rays of that dawn in his face, like he was looking through the veil into eternity. He had known Jesus for years and now he was eager to see him face to face and do that because of the resurrection you can do that you will do that let us learn on earth those things the knowledge of which continues in heaven let's pray jesus this is a mystery but we will all be changed just as you were changed as you defeated our sin You defeated the last enemy, death itself. And in the resurrection, you're not embracing death as you did on the cross. You're embracing us, that we would rise with you in victory. Indeed, you embrace this whole creation, and you will come back. And when you do, it'll all be made new. And all of our labor will not be in vain. So we pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit tonight. Pray us that you draw us to faith in Jesus. Help us in our unbelief. We pray that you would commission us to be your resurrection people in the world, that we might live with hope. Pray it in Jesus' name. We pray that he gets all the credit. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206 extension 117.